Thanks for tuning in to listen to the Drosh for this week's Parsha reading. Stay tuned after the Drosh for details on how to stay in touch with this ministry and keep up with all of our content. I hope you enjoy the message. Shabbat Shalom. We pick up in the story of Yosef when he's in prison. Um, in fact, he had been there for two years. So if you remember in prison, he was able to interpret two dreams which were prophetic. And he told what he told the two dreamers actually came true. It wasn't until two years later that one of the fellow prisoners finally remembers Yosef, the butler, the cupkeeper, the, the cupbearer of the king. When Yosef told him that he was going to be returned to his station, he asked him to remember him, and the guy said, yes, I will remember you. But he forgot. It actually says that in the scriptures. He forgot Yosef. He didn't do it until... The Paro, Pharaoh, had a dream and needed an interpretation of his dreams. That brought it to, to mind in the cupbearer, in the butler's mind. And then he told Pharaoh about Yosef, who could do that. This guy, the butler, he has a supernatural experience. He has a dream interpreted for him by a Hebrew person, by an Israelite. And it comes true, and he just lives his life as if nothing ever happened. And then he finally remembers it, even though he could have languished in prison had it not been for Yosef. What struck me about it, and it always does about the story of Joseph, is that he never complained. In all that we've read about him, he never utters a lip, never says a word, didn't, you know, revile his brothers for throwing him in the pit and for selling him, didn't revile Potiphar's wife for lying about him, doesn't revile the prisoners who the one gets away and leaves him there, never says a word. Very much like Yeshua, who was led to the slaughter like a sheep, right? Never uttered a word in his own defense. So there's another thing I believe that he has in common with the Messiah. Savlanut, suffering, bearing up under the weight of the tribulation of this world. He made the best of it. Not only did he deal, uh, you know, play the hand he was dealt, but... He made the hand even better. He always made it a royal flush <laughs> because God was with him, right? In all likelihood, he's been in prison for three years because we have the first period of time before his two years pass that he is released sort of just glossed over in a few verses. But a lot happened in those few verses. He's thrown into prison. He becomes the leader of the prison, the right-hand man of the prison warden. Can't do that overnight. The guy had to learn about Yosef, right? 
So, and then he had to get to know those prisoners. They had to be thrown in there. And then that whole episode happened. So all of that happens in the time period before we read about. So it looks like he's been in prison for three years. And of course, Yeshua descended for three days from the human perspective, right? We don't know what it was from the eternal perspective because there's no time on the other side, right? But on the human side of the event, there was a clock on the wall and three days passed. Everybody with me? Yes. So it seems to be a little bit congruent. While, Yeshu, while Yosef was in prison, he, he basically participated in releasing a captive. Did he not? Yeshua went into prison and did what? Released captives. It might be a weak image, but nonetheless, it's still there. He's released, finally, because Pharaoh calls for him. And he stands before him and interprets his two dreams. And then he's elevated again. So what I mean by that is he went to Potiphar's house and he was elevated took the highest station in Potiphar's house, gets falsely accused, leaves there, goes to prison, and gets elevated to the highest station he could possibly get without becoming actually free, right? There, then he leaves prison, stands before Pharaoh, and becomes second only to Pharaoh in all the land of Egypt. And Paro said to his servants, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom the spirit of Elohim is? And that reads in Hebrew, Ish asher ruach Elohim bo. A man in whom the spirit of God is in. All right, because some people teach that men didn't have the spirit of God before Yeshua came, before Jesus came, the spirit had never been given. And that's wrong. And this is just one example of many where... Someone, namely a prophet, is filled with the Spirit of God. He couldn't have done those things outside of God's breath, God's power, God's presence, God's Spirit. Right? Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt at the time, was the world power. He was deified as a man. And he was able to see that the spirit of Elohim was in him. What I'm getting at is here is Pharaoh who thinks, who goes, goes around saying he's a god, and even he recognizes that the spirit of Elohim, which is the Hebrew word for the creator, was in Yosef. And I've told y'all this before. There is nobody that's an atheist, doesn't exist, they can say it all they want, People that worship Satan, they know. Why would they worship Satan unless they knew God existed? Why would they do that? They know. People who worship paganism, they know there's a creator. They, deep down, they know it. Pharaoh knew it. He's been walking around saying, I'm God, everybody kiss my ring, worship me. But when it got down to the wire, he recognized the Spirit of God. Prophets of God were filled with the Ruach. The Ruach was in them, just like it says here, Elohim bo. Elohim is in him. What changed when Yeshua came is that anyone who comes to trust in the Messiah, 
as the Son of God, as having died and risen from the dead, and as having been given all authority from God the Father, standing at His right hand, that person receives the Ruach HaKodesh. You cannot confess those things unless the Spirit of God is inside of you. You can't do it. And by the same token, if someone can say those words and understand them, and that's the tricky part in our day and age, because people will say them but not know what they mean. They're being parrots. Are you with me? But if they can, then they belong to God, even if they stand on different doctrinal soil than we do. Someone can believe in that and wander and be misled doctrinally. And this is the part that is hard to get people to understand. Not to be judgmental over someone who doesn't walk the way that we walk. Because guess what? All of us walked in some other form or fashion before we got here. So how can we look at someone else who's walking in that same way we used to walk or very similar to it and judge them? And it happens all the time. The very breath of the Creator was in Yosef, the Almighty God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose name is Yahweh, the eternally existing one. I said it last week, if you are able to confess all of those things about Yeshua, then you have the Ruach of prophecy inside of you. Because the main thing that God is saying to people right now, the world over, is Repent. That's still the message. Repent. If you can say that Yeshua is seated at the right hand of God and He's going to return, you can. here's the difference. You can repeat it, but if you can say it with belief, that's different. Are you with me? It's very similar to the, to, to the guy, the seven sons of, of, of Sceva who said, in the name of Yeshua, whom Paul preaches, come out of the man, right? And they, got, they literally got their butts handed to them for trying to cast out a demon, believing in, you know, just parroting Paul's words. And there is a difference. And unfortunately, a lot of people today who think they are believers are just parrots. And they don't know really what they believe. They don't understand Scripture. But if you can say that, you have the very ruach, the same ruach of a prophet, a navi, inside of you. I'm not trying to make a bunch of arrogant people. I want you to understand that. That's not, I hope nobody goes out the door flexing their prophetic muscles and saying, look at me, I'm a prophet. <laughs> but what I do hope you do is recognize, first of all, whether or not you believe that, and then if you do and you can confess it, recognize what you have because that's what Yosef knew. He knew who was with him. The problem is today too many people who do believe it don't read the Word as a unit and in fact they read it backwards. They read it from end to beginning if they even get to the beginning. Right? 
And even if they do get to the beginning, they don't understand it. They understand it from the filtered version, from the backwards viewpoint. They don't take God at His word. They might give the Torah a nod, but they don't believe it. I believe the most important prophecy right now for the world is that Yeshua is going to return and the message of repentance has to be declared. Right? It's not wrong to say that Yeshua is coming back. You can, get, you can have rocks thrown at you by so-called believers just for saying that. And that ought to be what we're shouting from the rooftops. He's coming back. And when He does, He's going to judge the earth. by the Torah. But there are seven things that the Ruach wants the congregations to hear. And I'm going to get to those later. I thought I would tease you right now. For Yosef, Pharaoh needed to hear the breath of God speak. And he did, through Yosef, through Joseph. And all that Yosef did was interpret dreams, but that took the power of God to do. And Pharaoh knew exactly who gave it to him. Pharaoh said, Paro said unto Yosef, For as much as Elohim has shown you all this, there is none so discreet and wise as you. So here's another image of Yeshua in Joseph. He's not only been raised up out of the prison where he set captives free, but now he is at the right hand of Pharaoh. You shall be over my house, and according to your word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than you. I have set you over all the land of Mitzrayim. And that's effectively what God has done with Yeshua already. He's seated at his right hand, and he's ruling on his behalf over his kingdom. The kingdoms of this world have not been handed back over to God yet. We are at war. Yeshua is already ruling His kingdom, and I've said it a few weeks ago, too many of His warriors are prisoners of war. And we need to break them out, and that's what we're trying to do. Hopefully none of us in here are prisoners of war. You're a prisoner of war if you're a slave to anything that goes against the Torah. And we need to rise up. We need to buck up and become warriors in Messiah. And I'd like to think that we're beginning to do that. Lord knows we've got warfare enough. <laughs> right? Yosef becomes co-ruler second only to Pharaoh, trusted with all of his affairs. I got to thinking about that. And so people who approach the Father, and there are many who do, people who go to God without going through Yeshua are violating the kingdom. You cannot come before the throne of God and be seen as one of His unless you do so through 
Yeshua. Plain and simple. Does, am I saying, I'm not one who says that God doesn't hear the prayers of, of pagans and of Jews who don't believe in Yeshua. I'm not one of those people. God hears everything. He knows everything. What I'm talking about is moving in His authority. What I'm talking about is moving the hand of God. Because if you're going before the throne, you're doing so with understanding. And you yourself are bringing a knowledge of the law before the court. We've got an issue over here. Do you see the imagery that I'm trying to paint? You can't be a barrister in his court unless you understand the law. They don't just let anybody walk up in front of a courtroom and litigate. Getting what I'm the point that I'm trying to make here? You can go and ask mercy from the judge and he'll give it, but that's all you're that's what you're getting. You're not functioning in His kingdom like you're supposed to unless you're doing it through the name of Yeshua, period. And so many people who walk our walk later turn away from the very one who gives them any authority that they might have had. People who know the Son of God Understand that all things pass through Yeshua, everything. And that Yeshua does everything according to the whole Word of God. Yeshua doesn't do anything outside the counsel of God's will, which is Genesis to Revelation. He is the king of a kingdom. A kingdom requires law, otherwise you have anarchy. And unfortunately, that's what you have in these little prison cell groups they call churches. That's what they are. They're prisoners of war. And they just, it's anarchy, it's chaos. The kingdom has a body of law called Torah. Yosef did everything according to Pharaoh's law. And Pharaoh gave Yosef the authority to do so. Paro took off his signet ring from his hand and put it on Yosef's hand and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. We say it all the time trying to get people to understand who Yeshua is. He is the, ex he is the express image of God his Father. And Pharaoh just did the same thing to Joseph. Made him ju look just like him. Down to the point of wearing his own ring. That was the authority. That ring, a signet ring, is what you signed legal documents with. All right? And that's the point that I've been trying to make. Yeshua has the rabbinic authority in all of God's kingdom. And anybody working in his, thinking they're working in his kingdom without Yeshua as their rabbi is just playing a game. They set up a kangaroo court outside the throne room and they're just playing a game. He made him to ride second chariot, which he had, and they cried before him, Avrech. And he set him over all the land of Mitzrayim. And he said to Yosef, I am Paro, and without you shall no man lift up his hand or his foot in the land of all Mitzrayim. And it's the same with Yeshua in his kingdom. If we're not doing it through the name of Yeshua, we're not doing anything. And here's, here's another image of, of Yeshua. In Yosef. He was 30 years old when Pharaoh dressed him like that. And Yeshua was 30 years old 
when the Ruach HaKodesh came down upon him and God gave him his authority. Think about this. Yeshua had wisdom and knowledge when he was a little boy. But he did not have the power of Elohim until he was 30 years old. He did not have the authority to become the Messiah until he was 30 years old. Just like Yosef. Yosef was a smart boy. But at some point, God gave him his ruach. And it elevated him to the highest in the land. Yeshua was a little boy teaching in the temple. After three days, they found him in the Hechal, sitting in the midst of the teachers. We say it every week, right? Listening to them and asking them questions. And all those who heard him were amazed at his wisdom and his answers. He was 12 years old here. And when they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, My son, why have you done this to us? If you remember, Miriam and Yosef had left for three days. Three days. They come back, and th this is the conversation she's having with him. And he said, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I would be in the house of my father? But they couldn't understand the words which he said to them. So he went down with them and came to Natsrat, and he was subject to them. And his mother treasured all these words in her heart. And Yeshua grew in his stature and in wisdom and in favor with Elohim and people. The point that I'm making is all of Yeshua's life, he had wisdom and knowledge, which are parts, part and parcel to the Ruach of Kodesh, right? but he didn't have the fullness of it to be the Messiah, to go about and do what he would do as Messiah. And the, one of the reasons I need to say that is because there are other Gospels out there that were written 1,900 years ago. The one that comes to mind is the Gospel of Nicodemus. And there are people today, the Gospel of Thomas, and they were not written by Nicodemus and Thomas. They are attributed to them, but they weren't written by them. And in the, in, in, maybe in both, I'm not sure it's been 20 years since I've studied them, but I'm pretty sure in the Gospel of Nicodemus, Yeshua as a little boy does miracles. He does not. He didn't have the power of the Ruach of Kodesh until he was 30 years old. He didn't, he did, and it says it in the Gospel of John. He did his first miracle at a wedding in Cana. All right, you see why you have to be careful of ancient documents that people dig up? Knowledge and wisdom were fascinating to the people around Yeshua when he was a boy, and it gained him favor, but more was necessary. Right? Luke chapter 3, and it came to pass when all the people were immersed, Yeshua was also immersed, and while he prayed, heaven was opened, and the Ruach HaKodesh descended on him in the form of a dove, and a voice from heaven saying, You are my Ben Ha'ahuv. With you I am well, well pleased. And we talked about that with Yochanan Hamatbil. He saw that. John the Baptist saw that, and he said, he told the crowd, God told me that the one I saw the Spirit descend upon, that would be his son. That's, that would go follow him, right? You remember that? Bidmut gufiona, in the image of the body of a dove, is literally what it says there. And then in chapter 4 of Luke, so let me back up a little bit. He's a little boy. He grows up. We don't have any information from 12 to 30. He grows up. He goes and is immersed by Yochanan. The Ruach comes upon him. And then in chapter 4, now Yeshua, full of the Ruach HaKodesh, returned from the Arden. And there it is. That's when he began his ministry.
So Yosef is raised up out of the pit. Yeshua is raised up out of a pit. Yosef is shaved and redressed to look like Pharaoh. Walk like an Egyptian. <laughs> Mazel tov. <laughs> He's got worldly garb of authority on him. And it is worldly, but the imagery is still there. Are you with me? Of So with Yeshua, now there's a... Today, there is an element of Yeshua's life that is similar to Yosef and not the other way around. What do I mean by that? The Greeks have clothed Yeshua. The popes have clothed Yeshua in Egyptian garb. He's dressed like the world. Any image of you, you see of Yeshua, he's in a toga. Jewish people did not wear togas. All right? He's, he's Greek. In, he doesn't have a head cover on. He doesn't have tzitziot on. In most images, especially up until the last 20 years, today you'll see images of Yeshua with tzitziot and a tallit and, a, and a, some sort of head cover. You'll see him dressed as a Jew in paintings, but that's because of people like us who are demanding it. But for 2,000 years, you never saw it. God has that done to Yosef to, on purpose. And the purpose of it was to bring Israel to safety and reunite the house, even though they were going to be reunited in a strange country. It was the, for the purpose of reuniting the family of Israel. But that clothing is a picture of authority. And I can't help but think of the prodigal son every time I read about Yosef being dressed that way. Because the same thing happens to you and I when we come to the Father. You think about it. Yeshua is talking about the prodigal son. He doesn't call him that. That's a moniker that theologians have put on the parable. Are you with me? While he was yet at a distance, his father saw him. He had mercy on him, and he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And his son said to him, My father, I have sinned before heaven and before you, and I am not worthy to be called your son. But his father said to his servants, Bring the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand. Just like Yosef. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring and kill the fatted oxen. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and has come to life. He was lost and is found. So there is some imagery in Yosef of a believer when he comes out of the pit. We say it all the time in the Psalms. You delivered me from the, from the miry pit. You pulled me out of the depths of Sheol. And he put a ring on us. That ring is symbolic of the word, of the authority, if you haven't figured it out, is the word of God. It's not the rabbis, it's not the popes, it's not, the, it's not anyone who has written anything, including me. I'm not the authority, the authority is the word of God. I'm trying to help us to understand it, but that's the authority. Many people have taken to debate the deeper meanings of the parable of the prodigal son, but I just want to assert it's a lost person. It's a lost person, someone who has left God. All of mankind has left God. 
But this person returns to God. This person comes to themselves and recognizes, all right, I don't want to be important to myself anymore. I want to be a servant in my father's house. It's humility. Before he was arrogant, he sold his wealth and he took it and he thought he could manage it himself and he blew it and he lived the life he wanted to live. He didn't have to answer to dad. He went out and did whatever he wanted. And every one of us have done that. And when his arrogance finally came to an end, and sometimes it takes getting all the way down into the pit with the pigs, near starvation and having to eat garbage, you can say that physically and spiritually because it happens both ways to people today, where they finally say, I'll just go be a servant in my father's house. Knowing they need God and desiring, this is the part that people don't, I don't see much, desiring to serve Him. There is a difference. Just believing in God and returning to God, but desiring to serve Him. I will go and serve Him. I'll be a servant in my Father's house. He said it, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me like one of your hired workers. Yosef was raised up, given authority, reclothed, and given a different name. Hello, they took Yeshua's name, changed it to Jesus, changed it to Yesu in English, and then in 1711 added a J and changed it to Jesus, and they've made him as Greek as they can possibly make him. God's got a reason for it. But there's a time when the mask has to come off, right? We find out next week in our portion that his brothers didn't even recognize him. Jewish people today are confessing by the hundreds. I follow a site, I forget the name of the ministry, but they minister to Jewish people in Israel. They do some great public in-the-street work going up and just preaching the gospel to Jewish people. And they do a really good job of it. And they have the testimonies of these people who have come to believe in Yeshua, these Jewish people who have come to believe in Yeshua. And more, probably, probably two-thirds of them that I've watched have said, I never knew Jesus was a Jew. I never knew it. I thought he was Italian. I thought he was from Italy. I thought he was an Italian. He was, he's the head of the Christian church. I thought he was, there. He was Italian. He didn't have a clue. And that was on purpose. Catholic Church did that on purpose. Drabbed him in... in Greek clothing and Greek language and Greek this and Greek that changed his name, took away every feature of Jewishness of his life and imposed stuff from all over the world on him and made him look entirely different so that his own people, Yeshua's own brothers, don't recognize him until someone like you and me, if we can manage to pull the garb, the Egyptian garb off, the Greek clothing off and dress him the way he's supposed to be dressed and make them realize and I hope you're saying that. That when you, especially when you talk to a Jewish person, they say, Look, my Savior is a Jew. He's the King of the Jews. 
You know, I live a Jewish life because I'm emulating him. I'm doing what he's doing. Pharaoh claimed to be God on earth. The popes claimed to be God on earth. A lot of people don't know this, but the popes claimed to be God on earth. They will say it in other ways, like the vicarious ruler of Christ. But I believe it was John Paul II who stood in Denver and held out his ring and told the kids, the Catholic kids that were in his little assembly to kiss his ring, I'm God on earth. And some, it's funny they always do it with kids. Why? Because it stays with them. It's easier to, to propagandize children, especially teenagers. So one of the popes in the 20s did the same thing, held out his ring and said, I'm God. And all the kids in the room kiss him. I think they were choir boys or, or what do they call the, the altar boys. Yeah. Yeshua's own brothers killed him, just like Yosef's own brothers killed him. Talked about that a little bit last week. Our Jewish people didn't, re didn't realize what they were doing, and they are not the ones held responsible for his death because Yeshua could have stopped it at any minute. But nonetheless, they participated in it. And they tell the Father he's dead, that Yeshua is dead. And they've lived in that lie for 2,000 years, just like Joseph's brothers lived in a lie for 20 Because of all of that, we can expect to be treated just like people treated Yosef, and we can expect to be treated like people treated Yeshua. I don't know if you recognize it. I think many of you, most of you probably do, that Yeshua was in his hometown when they took him out to the edge of a mountain and tried to push him off. He was in his own synagogue where he grew up. And if you know anything about antiquity, you didn't go very far. Most people never saw more than about a few miles away from their house back in that day. It was few people who actually traveled. My point being is that the people that were in that synagogue were the same people that grew up, that Yeshua grew up with for 30 years. He's only been gone for a brief spell to go get baptized, to go out into the wilderness for 40 days, and then he comes back to Nazareth. It's not like he's been gone forever and they don't recognize him. You can, you can miss somebody for a month and not forget anything about them, right? They were fresh in knowing who Yeshua was, and they turned on him that quick and tried to push him off a cliff because he was declaring the truth about his own identity. When we declare the truth about Yeshua, religious people, mostly religious people, will hate you for it. People that are unbelievers that haven't been exposed to any faith, they're like, oh, cool. But a religious person will just about tear your head off. And if it were legal for them to do, just like it was just a few hundred years ago, they'd probably do it. Yeshua said this to his synagogue, which he had been away from for about two months. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. And they all testified about him and were amazed by the words 
of grace that came out of his mouth. And they said, is not this man the son of Yosef? Yeshua said to them, you might probably tell me this, Mashal, physician, heal yourself. And all that we heard that you did in Kafarnachum, do also here in your own city. And he said, truly I say to you, no Navi, no prophet is acceptable in his own city. For truly I say to you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Eliyahu. And we know the rest of that story. They were filled with anger and they rose up and took him outside the city and brought him to the edge of the mountain on which their city was built that they might throw him down from a cliff. Those are his friends and brothers and cousins. A prophet is one who speaks the word of God. A prophet is not someone who ties together these beautiful little strings of nonsensical words, but he speaks by the Ruach HaKodesh, and it makes sense. It's very direct. It's usually very precise if it's a prophecy. Like I said, Yeshua is coming back. You can't get any more precise and factual than that. But the congregation of Messiah, by and large, has not heeded the warnings of Messiah himself that are throughout the scriptures. So the seven things that I said the congregations must hear are from the Ruach itself. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent and do the first works. Mind you, I'm talking about what God's Spirit is saying to the congregation. Are you with me? Everything that I'm about to read you was addressed to the congregations of Messiah. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you very soon and will remove your menorah from its place unless you repent. And I believe that many congregations for the last 2,000 years have had the light of God taken out of their midst because they do not walk the Scriptures. Be faithful even to death, and I'll give you a crown of life. It comes to that still for people who believe in Yeshua, that they have to die for their faith. And it may come to that for us. As fast as things are getting ugly in this country, we could turn around in a minute and be put in prison because of our faith. And if you don't think they'll do it, ask someone from Germany what they did, what, 70 years ago, 80 years ago? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a believer who tried to defend the Jewish people, and they killed him. That's just one of many. You have, therefore, those who hold to the teaching of Bilam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit adultery. You've also those among you who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, or else I will come to you very soon, and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. And everybody reads these and thinks it's only applied to the, to the congregation that Yeshua was talking to 2,000 years ago. And what I'm telling you is this, Yeshua left this in holy writ for the last 2,000 years because it's alive and it still applies to any congregation because these are the things that we're all going to face as congregants. The same stuff. What is the era of Bilam? 
selling the gospel for money, being made rich off of God's people, being, being a betrayer of the people of God, pretending to be their prophet. Nicolaitans. That is controlling the laity, having dominion over the people. That is clergy versus the people. Setting up a two-house, two <laughs> two-order system in the congregation where these guys have the secrets and these guys just have to listen. That's what that is. And that's the way it is in every congregation. Even Protestant places, because if you ask the preacher a question and it defies what they believe, they will shut you down. Anybody ever been there? Yeshua says, repent or I will come to you very soon and fight against you with the word, the sword of my mouth. I told you, he's going to judge the earth with his word. And you allowed that woman of yours, Yezebel, who calls herself a Neviah, a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit harlotry and to eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she did not repent from her harlotry. Behold, I will cast her into a coffin. This is Yeshua talking to a believing congregation and one of the leaders of the congregation. He says, I'm going to kill her. If you don't know it, Isabel's sin, Jezebel, Jezebel's sin, was mixing the worship of Yah with the worship of Baal convincing the king of Israel to become a prophet of Baal and convincing all the prophets of Israel to become prophets of Baal. To mix. Serve not just Yah, but to serve Baal. To serve, just, just put, let's just assign that name over here to this God. Happens all the time. Redefining who God is. Mixing in a little bit of good stuff with the wicked stuff. That's harlotry. The adultery in the previous passage that I just read was probably literal adultery. And people do that. There are churches that say it's okay for you to take a second wife. They take a verse out of Scripture, take it out of context. They don't realize that God was accommodating for sinful man when He said, if you take a second wife... If you're going to do that, then you better do this or you're going to be cut off from your people because he knew that men were just men. But what the harlotry of, it, of Jezebel is, is first of all, women teaching men. And that goes on today. And that's wrong. It's not wrong for women to teach women. But a woman who teaches women better be taught by a man. And the problem is they don't that you don't have that. The women any day most most of the time today, if a woman's teaching women, she's her own teacher. She's not subject to anybody. I'll cast her into a coffin, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation. unless they repent of their deeds. Again, Yeshua is talking to believers. He's not talking to the world. He's talking to His congregation. 
I will smite her children with death. And all the congregations shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I'll give to every one of you according to your works. Your works matter. You're doing works of some kind. <laughs> every believer is doing works of some kind. If not, what are they doing? Just sitting at home? No, they're assembling and they're doing works of some kind and they matter. And if therefore you do not awake, I will come upon you as a thief and you shall not know at what hour that I will come upon you. I turn over those of the Beit Knesset of Hasatan who say they are Yodim and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Because you've kept the word of my patience, I'll keep you from the hour of testing that will come upon the whole world that will try all of those who dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast to that which you have, that no man takes your crown. The people who, there, are, there are tons of people going around saying they are Jews, and they are not. There are Jewish people who do it. And they're not Jewish because they're not following Messiah. <laughs> right? Genetically they are, and I'm not depriving them of that, but they don't belong. They don't have his authority. African people do it. Black Israel. They say they are the true Jews, and they will just decry anybody who's, who said anything, and they will accuse our Jewish people of not even being genetic, genetically Jewish, that they absconded with it and, and stole it, stole that identity from the Africans. They're not Jews. First of all, it doesn't fit the history. <laughs> That's first of all. It's a second. It's a it's a made up history. And the second thing is, same thing. They don't follow Yeshua because Yeshua doesn't look at genetics. He's not here to save only Jews. And the last one, so because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. You say I am rich and my wealth is increased and I need nothing. You do not know that you are miserable and helpless, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy of me gold refined in the fire. That's the word of God. That you may become rich and white raiment, that you may be clothed. That's the commandments of God. Come out of his word so that the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and anoint your eyes with salve that you may see. I rebuke and chasten all those whom I love. So as harsh as the words are, Yeshua is still telling them, I love you. He told them at the beginning of it, come back to your first love. Hello, I'm right here. And seven times when he was giving those messages to the congregation, it's one congregation, it's seven lamps on it. Are you with me? And whoever would be a victor. Yeshua said that seven times. Whoever would be a victor, whoever would overcome, that's how you know it from days past. He who overcomes. But it's the one who will be the victor, to him I will grant. And then he promises seven different things.
And they're all about the kingdom to come. If we're not supposed to overcome, then there's a certain doctrine out there that makes no sense whatsoever. Once saved, always saved. Predestination. If you're in like Flynn, why are you encouraged to overcome? Yeshua wasted his word seven times. Mi asher yeshlo oznaim yishma. He who has ears to hear will hear what the Ruach says to the congregations. And if there's ever a time where these letters needed to be, I, I bring them up relatively frequently, and it's because I think they are so critical and so ignored. I saw another prophecy advertised this morning by someone that I thought was above that. It was nonsense. It was vague and nonsensical. It was all about self. It was all about God prospering you in some way, and it was so vague that it would apply to just anybody's situation. And that's how they do it. They just say a bunch of sweet-sounding promises and put it out there as if God said it, and it tickles people. And it happens to coincide with something they are going through because people have been through life and they know what people go through. It's easy to prophesy that way. It's easy to do. You, you throw out that someone in here is suffering, blah, 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 and somebody's going to stand up if you've got 100 people or more in the room. There's no magic to it. And they say that God is telling them these nonsensical, idiotic things, and people are just following it and reposting it. I, I tell you, that's one of the things. If you know, my wife hates Facebook altogether. I use it for good purposes, but that's one of the things that bothers me about it. Is so many people just automatically post garbage without thinking about what it's saying. Some of y'all do it. <laughs> <laughs> I said that because there are things that God is actually saying to His congregation. Things that we are supposed to watch out for. Things that we have to see how critical they are, that we not participate in it, we not allow it. If, if it comes in the doors, it has to be stopped. I don't want to go through it again. Ever. And if we stay this size until we all die, hallelujah. I'm not going through it again. What the Ruach is actually saying in this day and age is repent. The time is at hand. I've gone a little long, but I'm going to do this. Ruach Adonai Yahweh Alai Yan Mashach Yahweh Oti Levaser Anavim Shalachani Lachvosh Lenish Berei Lev Likol Lishvurim Dror you guys have heard that so much, you know exactly what I said, don't you? Yeah. The Ruach of Adonai Yahweh is upon me. This is what Yeshua said in his synagogue. I wasn't going to touch it. But this is so critical because 
What he said he came to do is what we ourselves are supposed to be still doing. That's the mission. It hasn't changed. We don't need a new mission statement. This is the gospel. Bind up broken hearts. Declare good news. Besorah, levaser, the word basar, gospel, is, is in verb form there. He has sent me to heal brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives and sight to the blind, strengthen the for, with forgiveness those who are oppressed, and declare the year of the favor of Yahweh. And until such time as he returns and brings the vengeance of God to earth, that's what we are supposed to do. So I'm like, what do I say? How do I end this drosh to put people, to, put, to light a fire under you? How do I do that? And I went back and I read this in Hebrew for the first time in a long time, since I translated it probably. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I want you to hear this. And you Hebrew students, I want you paying close attention because if you don't get it, I'm going to smack you. <laughs> so what I want you listening for, Hebrew students, is the verbs. Listen for the verbs and pay attention. Velivshu et kol neshek ha Elohim kedesh tochlu lamod neged tachbulot hamekatreg ki ma'avachem anenu im basar v'adam ele im rashuot ve im shalitim ve im Moshle olam ve'im ruchot raot asher mitachat hashamayim alken livshu et kol neshek ha'elohim kede shetuchlu lehitnaged lara uviotchem muchanim b'chol davar lamod kumu efo ve'izru Matnechem baimet, velivshu et shirion hatzedaka, vanilu raglechem, ve nechonut levesorat hashalom. What have you heard so far in the verbs? What is the form of the verb? You've been doing it, that's what we've been doing. Plural, guys. Plural. Everything was plural. This is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18 in the plural. We don't see it in the plural, and so everybody reads it. And what I was reading was, put on the whole armor of God. And every time people read that, they see one person putting on his armor. One person putting on... Every time I've ever seen that scripture referenced, it's depicted a Roman centurion standing there by himself if it's in meme form. Every single time. And what this is saying is, y'all, everybody, all of you, from henceforth my brethren, not my brother, be strong, chizku, not chazak, chizku. There's the plural. In Adonainu, in the power of his might. Put on, yil beshu. Y'all put on. 
everybody put on the whole armor of Elohim, that you all may be able to stand against the wiles of the accuser. For your war is not with flesh and blood, but with authorities, with powers and rulers of this world of darkness and with evil spirits under the heavens. Therefore, put on the whole armor. Ooh, plural. Y'all put on the whole armor of God. That you may be able to meet the evil one and being prepared, y'all will stand firm. Arise, therefore, y'all, and gird your loins with truth and put on the breastplate. Put on in the plural. Are you with me? You know the scripture. Everything is in the... This is an army preparing for war, not one superhero, not, not Captain America. It's everybody putting on the armor of God together. And theoretically, that's what we're doing in here every week. Right? And so the point being is we have to all go out into this world with the same mission in mind. Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. Amen? Thanks for tuning in to listen to the Drosh for this week's Parsha. In the description, you'll find all the links to our websites and social media content. Please make sure you're subscribed to our podcast as we can be found on all major podcast platforms. If you feel compelled to support this ministry, please feel free to do so by donating via the Get the Word Out link in the description. All proceeds go toward growing this platform and the Mikdash Mayot ministry. Until the next time, we pray God blesses you with shalom in the name of Yahweh Yeshua Mashiach.